Good evening, everybody. Really glad that you're here tonight. I think we have something special in store, and uh, glad that you made the effort to be here. Uh, so a big welcome from our Midland Seventh Adventist Church. Uh, we are very interested in this as members of our church, this presentation, but we, we certainly invited the, the community and everyone that's interested to be here. So we're glad we've got a, a good mixture of people here. And uh, we look forward to the Lord speaking to us tonight through these presentations. Um, a couple introductory comments. Uh, first, when we talk about creation, uh, you could say, well, why does it really matter? And we're going to hear about that for a number of times. But I just want to, want to nudge your brain a little bit. Obviously, a primary reason is, is the Bible credible? Can we really believe what the Bible says? The Bible speaks very specifically about how God created and when, when that happened. But the second thing maybe is perhaps even more important that I'll, throw, I'll just nudge your minds a little bit. If Does it make sense that a God that we know loves us and loves created beings would use death as the creative process? So when you think about it, the process of evolution relies on the weak species dying and the strong species surviving. So does it make sense for a God that really loves us, loves his creation, that he would build into it a system that requires death to actually to produce stronger, better, better creatures and human beings? I think that's quite opposed to what we would normally think of, of the way a loving God would, would do things. So I'll put those two things in your mind. We're going to hear a lot of other things, but this is, this is a very, very important topic that we're talking about. The whole concept of creation and what evidence is there for it actually being real. So I encourage you to, to think, think seriously tonight as you hear this presentation. And I will remind you that there will be three additional presentations uh, following Tuesday nights in January. Uh, take just a moment to introduce our speaker, uh, Bruce Malone. Uh, we're going to, just a brief introduction, but I think you need to know a little bit about him to appreciate his background and where, he, where he's coming from. Uh, Bruce uh, worked for about 20 years at Dow Chemical, and those of us who worked at Dow, you know, publications are okay, but patents are something that's a little, little neater. He actually has uh, 17 patents. So that's a, that's a nice collection over a career. It illustrates a lot of creative energy and, and doing relevant things that people are willing to pay for patents. So a good, good, solid career at Dow. But about uh, eight years ago, ten, ten, ten years, nine years ago, okay? Nine years ago, he left Dow, left a, a scientific engineering career early, and decided to pursue, pursue something that was really his passion. That was giving these lectures and, and uh, teaching people about God's creation. So although he was doing it before, he has been doing that full-time for nine years now. So this is his life. Um, in addition to that, just a few interesting little tidbits. He has authored six books in this area. So uh, he has put things into writing as well as just speaking. And he's a busy guy. He told me that uh, in a typical year, he probably presents to about 100 different groups. So our group is actually four presentations. So that's that's just counted as one of the hundred, okay, even though it's four presentations. And those are 
a number of them in the U.S., but a number of them are outside the U.S. too, so a significant amount of travel and, uh, and he has to put his heart into this ministry. Um, the presentation tonight will uh, be the first, as I said, in a series of four, and so we encourage you to come back next Tuesday night. Uh, he also, uh, Bruce has some supplies, books, and things over on the table there. If you would like to to purchase some of those, they'll be available after the program tonight. And there's some signs there, but just to remind you, that's uh, $20 for any three items. You can choose any three that you would like uh, from the table there. Um, so I, I think we have something very special in store for us this evening. But before uh, we turn the time over to, to Bruce, I wanted to invite uh, the pastor of our Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church here, Pastor Corey Herthel, to uh, say just a couple words. Well, I want to say good evening to all of you as well, and thank you for coming out this evening here to the Midland Church. I know that what we have in store for this evening is going to be a great program. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm thankful all of you came, and we hope that you feel welcome here, and uh, we know that you're going to be blessed tonight by the information that's shared. Our goal here is to exemplify Jesus, and we believe that dealing with this topic of creation is one that is very important and does just that. It exemplifies who Christ is. just wanted to say that while I'm excited about the program, I have just begun my master's degree in pastoral ministry, and so on Sunday I leave for Andrews University, and I have a couple weeks that I'll be down there, and then I have a set of ministerial meetings with our conference, the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in Michigan, so, unfortunately, this will probably be the only night, maybe the very last meeting at the end after Bruce is finished, the very last meeting that we'll have, I might be back, but this might be the only one that I get to see you all. But I didn't want you to think, well, where did the pastor go after the first night? So, I'll be uh, studying for my master's degree, so I solicit your prayers on that. And uh, anyway, I appreciate you all continuing to come and be a part of this program and uh, looking forward to how the Lord will lead Bruce as you speak and share with our community and with our church members and with our friends and guests that have come here. So thank you all. Why don't we have a word of prayer before we begin? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this grand opportunity to delve deep into the science of creation. I believe, Lord, that as we look around our world, in spite of how sin may have clouded and and obscured certain things about your creation. I believe, Lord, we see your fingerprints and your majesty everywhere we look. And Lord, I'm thankful that with science, we can be even more sure and reassured of your handiwork to know that you are sovereign God and to know that you are the creator and the life giver and the sustainer. And for this, we're thankful. Lord, I ask for a special blessing tonight and each subsequent night that we meet here as we look into this topic. May you bless Bruce that he might be a vessel for you to share truth from your word and through science, Lord, to show us this marvelous fact about creation. And so, Lord, tonight, we just pause for this moment to ask for your blessing for an open heart and mind to receive the Holy Spirit as he 
condescends upon us. And Lord, may all that is said and done here in this place bring honor and glory to you. For we pray and ask it in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Oh, and it, it is an enormous pleasure to be here because um, the, the number of denominations and churches that will have someone come in and speak and teach on a, a clear, straightforward, biblical view of creation and science, they're becoming fewer and fewer. Uh, and, and I know, you know, this, the um, Seventh-day Adventist is very, very solid in this area. So I'm not going to be, able, I'm not even trying to convince you of anything or try to push some viewpoint on you that you don't already believe. But tonight, I, I hope to give you a bigger perspective of what's going on all around us and why our country and the Western civilization at large is, is just walking away from reality. See, what I, what I hope to do is not just a bunch of facts on creation, but, but to reconnect science and history with God's word because it is... The world around us is, is, is working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and all the education systems, all the public schools, the museums, the movies, to disconnect God from those things. Um, but, but it doesn't work, and I just want to show you that. And I also want to show you the impact of that. Now, I want to start with, with a verse that's just obvious starting place. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, now, that's actually a very, very, very profound scientific statement of observation of, of the physical universe around us. You see, science basically is the study of, of time, space, and matter. Everything you can touch, feel, hear, smell, uh, traveling through is based on time, uh, is all time, space, and matter. And at the very first verse of the Bible... God says in the beginning, that is in essence time, the very start of time. He's saying time is the start of things, as we as human beings know it. Um, God is the implementing entity. With, without God, there couldn't be time. That's what it's saying. What did he do? He created heaven. That Hebrew word literally means space, like a template upon which to place a painting. Space itself, and matter literally, earth literally means matter. Time, space, and matter, and where did it come from? God, right at the very start. It's a very scientific statement. Now, the, the, the talk tonight, uh, and I often like to give this as a starting point when I'm doing a whole seminar series, is if that's true, God is the one who started time. God is the one who made the entire physical universe. God is the one who made matter, life, the DNA code, the very distinct forms of life. If all that is true... Why is there such an increasing number of people who are totally blind to it? And how, why, why don't they see it? I mean, these are not stupid people. You know, biochemists and physicists and geophysicists and geologists, you, you know, all these folks spend their life, every bit of their energy, lots of effort studying these things. They know way more about their individual discipline than I do. And yet, they come to a totally non-biblical viewpoint about all of it. How can that be? Well, I want to start, before I start to get into the talk, uh, reading just a couple verses, and this, this gets at why is creation matter again. You, you went one direction, I'm going to go another direction. 
this is Romans starting with chapter 19. And, and there's times I love the elegance of King James, and this is one of them. So I'm going to read it out of that. Uh, it, this verse says, That which may be known of God is manifest to them. Now, manifest means obvious. That which may be known about God is obvious to everybody. That's the them. Paul was talking about all of humanity. Every single person who has ever been born, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years into the future, college professor, peasant on the street, native in Africa, brilliant researcher, the fact that God is, exists is absolutely obvious to every person. Nobody is going to show up in heaven someday and say, wow, you do exist. I would have worshipped you if I'd only known. You understand what God's saying? Everybody knows that God exists. But it doesn't just stop there and go on to some other subject, okay? It's like comma. So that what may be known about God is obvious because God has shown it unto them. Really? How? For the invisible things of him, that's God, have been known from the creation of the world, clearly seen, being understood by what has been made, even God's eternal power and his Godhead, his nature and his abilities have been known so that they are without excuse. Now, I could go on, but just think about what we've just been told. It's because of creation, nobody has an excuse for disbelieving in God. Now, that is profound in what's being told to us because everybody out there says, by studying science, we now know you can explain things without God. It's been repeated for hundreds of years over and over and over and over again. Now, whether I'm on a college campus or talking to a church group or a men's group or wherever, you know, I, people don't need all sorts of technical detail and all sorts of fancy scientific names. I try to boil things down to their essence. And there are only two possibilities to explain where we came from, where the universe came from, where life came from, where human beings came from. Either some natural process made us or there is something outside of the physical universe that made us. Either the DNA code literally wrote itself or the most complex language transferal system in the universe has the most complex creator imaginable that wrote that language or code, and it is a code. More simple, if you look at the universe like a box, you know, pretend this box is everything that there is. All the stars, all the matter, all the energy, it's represented by this box. And by the way, I like to use it as a jewelry box. It's filled with jewels. You know, it's got these fine necklaces. It's got bracelets. It's got, you know, pennants and so on. Those are like the animals on the planet, except they're way more complex than these jewels. You only have two possible explanations for the box and the jewels. Either it made itself or it has a maker. Now, folks who believe in evolution, and their churches are filled with them because they've been trained to think in this way, they will say, no, 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 there's a third option. God used evolution to make the box. 
Now think about what you're told when people make statements. Just boil it down to its essence. They're saying that hydrogen gas turned into stars that turned into heavier elements that turned into planets. And on the planets, chemicals came together to form life. And one form of life had various changes that were useful. And single-celled organisms turned into fish that turned into amphibians that turned into animals that turned into monkeys and eventually turned into people. Well, if that's true, is there any evidence from studying creation that God exists? Because it all made itself. See, the idea God used evolution is a subset of everything made itself, because that's where all the evidence falls, if it's true. And it directly contradicts what God just told us. It's by studying creation, you can know he exists. Well, if evolution's true, you can't know he exists, because it all made itself. See, there's only two options. You ask a two-year-old child, little Susie, do you think this box made itself? Or do you think the box, daddy made the box? She's going to get the answer right. You ask a college professor, do you think the universe made itself? Or do you think God literally created the universe 97% of the time? They're going to say, it made itself, evolution. How did he get to that point? What changed? Little children are inherently born with the understanding there's something behind it all. It has to be trained out of them. It's the travesty of what's going on in our education system. Now, so what does science do? What does science have to do with it all? Science is really, really good at looking at how the creation operates. The laws of science... God literally built the universe with moral laws and scientific laws so that it wasn't just happen chance. One day, you something would happen one day, and the next day it would happen a completely different way. No, you'd never be able to accomplish anything. But by understanding how he made the universe, we can take dominion over it, and we can control it, and we can use it, and we can modify it, and we can create all sorts of things that benefit mankind at large. But science can't explain the origin of creation. It never could and it never has and never will. But what I'm going to get at in the next half hour, by understanding the laws of science, you can absolutely know which one of these options is the truth. Because the very laws of science show us it couldn't have made itself. DNA couldn't have written itself. Life couldn't have formed itself. One animal couldn't have turned into another kind of animal. It is absolutely impossible based on what we know about how creation operates. But then I come back to this question. If, if, if that statement is true, how can all these smart people miss it? And I think that's the most important thing you're going to learn tonight because it deals with the very way God created human beings. Now, I'm going to back up just a second. I put together just about six little video clips. One of the lectures I do, it's called Evolution on the Silver Screen. I've been collecting movie clips for about 30 years. I've been teaching for about 30 years. Um, And um, I put together just six of them because I want you to think about how the whole world around us is being programmed to think in just a certain way by watching some very typical, some of them are educational movies that starts with a Cosmos series, by Carl Sagan. He taught the teachers who taught the children who became the teachers and professors of the day in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and he talks about where everything came from. And, and then it's going to roll into some others. So just watch this and the think about the impact. Is all that is 
or ever was, or ever will be. Okay, I want to pause just, just for a second. So the only time I'm going to pause this. Leading scientist of the 1970s, the Stephen Hawking's of his day, wrote a book called Cosmos, explained where everything came from, produced a multi-million dollar series that was shown on every public school science classroom in the nation throughout the 70s and into the 80s. Starts his book in the series with a statement. The cosmos, that means the box, the universe and everything it contains, okay? The box is all that is, it's all that ever was, and it's all that ever will be. Now, how do you prove that in a scientific laboratory with observation and experimentation? Can you go back in time? No. Can you go forward in time? Can you be everywhere in the universe? See, that is philosophy. What he's really saying is God does not exist because he's not part of the box. He would have to be outside of the box. And if the cosmos, the box is all there is, there can't be a God. God has never existed and God never will exist. He was an atheist. But had he phrased it that way, it wouldn't have found traction with our culture. So instead he pretends it's science. He pretends that philosophy is science and presents it as if it's science. It goes on constantly all around us. See, if nothing else, you get some conversation starters when you see these sort of things to help people around us think about what is truth and reality versus what is philosophy. The size and age of the cosmos are beyond ordinary human understanding. 40,000 years of evolution and we barely even tapped the vastness of human potential. That DNA looks human. No, no it's not. It's missing the last pair of chromosomes, see? This is close. Close? The difference between man and ape is less than 3% genetic material. But that 3% gives you Einstein, Mozart. Jack the Ripper. Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It is how we have evolved from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Over the course of 14 billion years, hydrogen gas transformed itself into mountains, butterflies, the music of Bach, and you and me. You see, all that stated is a fact over and over again. A fact, a fact, a fact. One of those movies was X-Man, the original one. It's estimated to have been seen by half a billion people on our planet. Evolution, mutation, it's what's turned us from a single-celled organism into a human being. The statement, ape DNA is 98%, 97% identical to human beings, was first made back in the 70s. We hadn't decoded the DNA of either humans or apes back then. And yet it was repeated over and over and over again based on just a single little molecule. We now know, if you just line up every sequence letter of a chimpanzee DNA, every single letter of a human sequence DNA, there are about one billion differences. It's, it's barely 70% similar. But we both have hair, arms, legs, eyes, we eat the same stuff, so there's going to be similarity. But enormous 
enormous differences. And you can't even explain how hundreds of them completely could have disappeared from the apes, not a trace of them in humanity, and completely new information appeared into humanity, even in millions of years. There would still be traces of it, but there's not. It all points to very distinct creation of very different creatures, but it's ignored. In the last little sequence, you notice they mention the music of Bach, hydrogen gas turned into butterflies in mountains, and the music of Bach. You know, kids, nothing you watch on TV is there by accident or on movies. It's all been written by somebody with some viewpoint. They're trying to subtly get you to think that way. You understand Johann Johansson Bach, every sheet of music he wrote, he signed it right at the bottom of that sheet of music to the glory of God alone. His whole life was dedicated to the glory of God alone. And what music do they pick to pretend God doesn't exist? The music of Bach. No coincidence. It's a slam on Christianity and reality. All of evolution is. Now, I ran across a verse about, I don't know, a few years ago. You know, I'm reading my morning devotions, and it just like hit me, just slammed at me. Look, what is this saying? It's Psalm 146, verses 5 and 6. It starts by saying, Happy is the person whose hope is in the Lord his God. Now, that would preach, Pastor. You just don't need anything but that, and you can spend the whole morning sermon on that, okay? Because Lord is the one in charge. That's what that word means. It means you've placed someone in supremacy over yourself. He's the one you want to follow. He's the one who wants to be the leader. He is in charge. So why would you make God the one in charge of your life? Not money, not happiness, not possessions, not friendship, not health. But God is the one you want to follow. Regardless of where he leads you, what he tells you. It doesn't stop there. Make God your Lord. It says this is why. Because, semicolon, he's the one that made the heavens. And where's my pointer? He's the one that made the earth and the sea, and he's the one that made all that's therein is. Now, all my life I've loved science, and science is divided into three major buckets, three major disciplines. The first is the, the, the cosmological astronomical science that includes physics. That's the study of basically the heavens, time, time space, matter, energy, okay? The study of the heavens. God's the one who made the heavens, The earth and the sea are the earth sciences, geology, zoology, paleontology, oceanography, the things on this planet. And how did they get there and why do they look the way they do? And by the way, if we can't explain why the planet looks the way it does, if we can't explain the rocks and the fossils, if we can't explain the ice age, if we can't explain how all this fits in to a biblical perspective and why it's filled with all these dead things and why there are these thousand foot deep layers of sandstone and so on, we look absurdly ignorant to the world. We just say, God did it. That's not an answer. Why is all that stuff there? How does it fit into a real timeline of earth history? You can't expect people to take us credibly when we don't have answers to very logical questions. And it's not complex. It doesn't take a lifetime of study. You're going to get the 95% gist of it in a few hours over the next few weeks. And last, everything in them is the biological medical sciences. Biology, microbiology, medics, genetics, and so on. 
over 2,000 years ago, some 2,500 years ago, God inspired King David to write down, I am the one who made it all. And he divided it into the same three areas that modern science divides all human knowledge. Kind of interesting. What I'm going to do is take one example from each of these areas to show you how absolutely, undeniably, incredibly obvious God has made the truth. So that people around us can be drawn to the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I'm going to start with the cosmological sciences. Even decade after I had become a Christian, and that was after college, and started studying creation and realized how foundational this was to everything else going on around us, and our culture walking away from the belief in the Bible and God ultimately, I still assumed, because I had heard it over and over and over again, stars are making themselves out there in outer space constantly um, and, until I started to study it. Now, you see these kind of charts everywhere. You see big gas clouds, they call them protostars. That means just a big gas cloud that hadn't turned into a star yet. And they come in different sizes, and depending on the size of the cloud, it will turn into a different star, supposedly. Uh, and that star will then eventually, over hundreds of millions of years, use up its fuel, and it will either explode or collapse and turn into all sorts of stuff like red dwarfs and supernovas and black holes and quasars and so on. It's kind of like the evolution of the star chart just like you see evolution of animal charts. Now, I was in an airport just about six months ago, standing there in line, and I looked down, and, and I see this. Oh, my goodness, there's that same chart on the back of a sweatshirt. This little kid, and he's probably about 10 years old, has been to Astro Camp, where he has been trained to think in only a certain way. Millions of years, billions of years, millions of years, billions of years, stars are constantly making themselves. And he's going to go through life thinking in that way. Now, that has nothing to do with anything God has told us. It's a story to try to explain where did all those stars come from without God. Because God told us he made them. He specifically told us he made them. He said he made them on day four of creation. And in past tense, I made the stars also. Now, let's just apply the lens of science to this issue. Are stars making themselves continuously, or did God make them? Now, here's an issue. Stars are like the most efficient bonfire in the universe. They are fueled primarily by nuclear fusion, where hydrogen is packed with so much gravitational force together, the hydrogen fuses into another element, and it sends out enormous amounts of light and heat, and it burns itself up because you can't create matter and energy, which is a whole other issue. Fundamental law of science, matter and energy can never be created and never be destroyed. Well, if you can't make matter, then where did the box come from? Never been an exception. It means the box has to have something outside of matter and energy that made that matter and energy. Points to God. So the stars are burning themselves up. They're transforming matter into energy eventually they're going to disappear. Just when you light a log, it's going to disappear. But it's going to take you know, millions, hundreds of millions of years for them to disappear, but they're going to disappear. They can't last as long as you need the universe to be old. They would be all gone, they, the vast majority of them. Some of them may have been big enough, but vast majority of stars can't be as old as the universe. But they're there. 
So you're stuck with believing they must be remaking themselves. That stuff must turn back into gas. It must recondense into stars. You understand? You've got to explain them somehow. They certainly didn't just pop into existence. The only alternative is they must be making themselves. Gas clouds must be condensing. Now, if, if I had a whole time to spend on astronomy, I would show you a whole series of, of videos, National Geographic, Stephen Hawking's, you know, Cosmos, all of them, all the textbooks, all the museums, all these videos, they say gravity pulls together things. It pulls together the gas, and it gets closer, it gets tighter and tighter and closer and closer, and eventually it bursts into nuclear fusion, and that's how they explain it. Well, except there's a problem. I'll go back to the idea stars aren't forming, but there is a law of science called the universal gas law. Now, a law is a law of science only if there's never been an exception. Otherwise, it's downgraded to a theory, okay? Still doesn't mean it can't change, but based on current knowledge, there has never been an exception. And this law of science says gas, if you just leave it alone, always goes from high pressure to low pressure. See, gas molecules are bouncing around, and they spread apart. They never condense tighter and tighter and closer and closer all by themselves. It won't happen. Now, I like to do experiments. So I have high-pressure gas in this can. There's low-pressure gas in this room. High-pressure, low-pressure. The law of science says gas will always go from high-pressure out to low-pressure. The only thing separating the two is a valve in the top of the can. Now, every textbook, that little kid's sweatshirt, all of the, the, the teaching videos and the National Geographics, all the museums, they say out in outer space, gas packs itself tighter and tighter and closer and closer and turns into stars and happening all the time all around us. So I'll do the experiment. And since we're told it happens, you probably better hold your breath because when I open this valve, all the gas might get sucked out of this room down into the can as it packs tighter and to closer together. That's what they're saying. They're saying that happens all the time out there in outer space. And by the way, the molecules in outer space are a billion times, 10 to the 12th time, farther apart than the gas molecules in this room. So they're even less likely for gravity to pull them together. Quick question. There's gravity everywhere. Wherever you have two particles, there is something called gravity that pulls it together, but it's based on the square of the distance. So the farther apart you get, the less attraction you have. It's why when you get far away from the Earth, it seems like you're just floating around and there's no gravity. It's still extremely weak because the distance is, is hundreds of thousands or millions of miles. But it's still there. It just the, This is what's going on. And I'll do this with young kids. I'll give them a bunch of balloons. And I'm saying, forming a star is like squeezing together the gas in this balloon. So try to squeeze the gas in the balloon. As soon as you do it, you feel the gas trying to shove itself outward. It's going to pop out somewhere else. Because those molecules are bouncing around, knocking each other apart. And it's a million times more powerful than the force of gravity trying to pull them together. Just like when I open this can, three, two, one, which way does the gas go? It goes out. It never packs in, ever. It can't happen. You understand? God has given us the laws of science 
so that we will know there are certain things that couldn't have done themselves, so that we would know he exists. And it's by studying the creation we can learn these things. Gas can't pack together to form a star. And we've never seen a new star form. You, there is no textbook anywhere where on this page is a picture of outer space taken 10, 20 years ago, and then we zoom in on some little galaxy far away, and we take another picture 10 years later, blow it up, and there's a new star. Not a single example. Now, there are about 100 billion galaxies, best estimation we have. And each of them, if they're like the Milky Way, has 100 billion stars. That's 10 with 22 zeros. You can't even imagine this number. Even if the universe is 10 billion years old, divide the number of stars by the number of seconds, it turns out every second we should see 10,000 new stars forming. The next second, there ought to be 10,000 more stars because they're burning themselves up. The next second, there ought to be 10,000 more stars. The laws of science say they can't form. Observation says we've never seen one form. So where did they come from? You understand? God has made it absolutely obvious. And I'm going to jump past this. I've got about a dozen quotes by physicists that say the origin of stars is one of the most fundamental unsolved problems of astrophysics. They know they can't solve it. In the video series, um, and I'll mention that at the end, um, I talk about how they talk about dark matter and dark energy. That, that, that's fantasy. They've never seen it. They've never measured it. They've never, they, there's no way of knowing it even exists. But mathematically, they make up a concept to try to explain the impossible. See, the universe is so big and so varied and so beautiful and so enormous because the heavens declare the glory of God. And if they weren't that big, how could they declare the glory of the one who made them all? You know, if they were just some little, this was the planet and this was it, we wouldn't have a good picture of the character and the Godhead of the Creator. That's why they're there, not because they made themselves. So why can't brilliant people see what is so absolutely in-your-face obvious? I'll come back to that at the very end. Now, that was one example, astronomy. Uh, I'm going to talk about biology. Um, You could go on. Remember, one of the Gospels ends by saying, if we were to write down everything that Jesus had done, there wouldn't be enough space in the world to contain all the books. The biological world's like that. Oh, it's just wonder after wonder after wonder. But I've got to limit myself to one uh, with a little bit of a preface. You know, every single cell, from the simplest bacteria to an amoeba to, to a plankton to, to even, even the simplest little creature, contains thousands of parts. Now, what's interesting is none of these parts occur naturally you can't go out and dig up some sand it's not a biochemical bio means life chemical is the chemicals that life is made out of the enzymes the proteins the cell membranes all the parts of the cell don't occur naturally they're only made inside of living creatures that ought to be a clue How could parts come together to form life when you can't even find the parts? God has made it so obvious. But they still come blinded all this. 
It checks for errors. It makes exact copies of itself. Now let me show you just the most common molecule in life is called a protein. And they're like a long chain beaded necklace. And you'll notice these are different colors. There's actually 20 different colors in all the proteins of life. The little beads in, in you know, technical terms of a biochemist are called amino acids. And these amino acids, they line up in a very specific order so that this chain will bend and fold. And if it's a hair molecule, it will just spiral and spiral and spiral and form a hair. If it's hemoglobin, it bends and twists in a completely different way so that it's perfectly designed to carry oxygen. If it's a skin molecule, it's a different arrangement. But the beaded's order, the order of the colors has to be exactly right or the molecule won't function. Let me show you what one of these molecules looks like. Okay, now every single color, every one of these from beginning to end, and this is a fairly long protein, but some of our proteins are this long, has to be in the right place. The red one followed by the white one followed by the blue one and so on. There's a disease called sickle cell anemia, and it's when the hemoglobin has one bead in the wrong place. One of the colors has been switched with a different color. And because of that, instead of forming this really flat, or actually it's a really circular molecule that, that carries oxygen inside of it, it becomes flattened out. And the cells, the hemoglobin, the red blood cells, become sickle-shaped instead of circular, and they don't carry oxygen very well, and they get stuck in the capillaries of our veins and arteries. So most people end up dying because one of the colors is in the wrong spot. And yet the biochemists think they all got there in just the right order by chance. And this is one of of 200,000 of these chains that are in the human body. There's 200,000 different arrangements in our body. And every one of them are in the perfect order. And none of them could have made themselves. It's so obvious. But that, that all just becomes kind of like uh, intellectual, statistical stuff. Let me give you an example that I love with an animal. And I'm going to pick one animal. And it's called the leafhopper. Now, the leafhopper is what I like to call the Olympic athlete of insects on steroids. Nothing jumps like a leaf hopper, okay? Its whole body is built so that when it jumps, it takes off with oh, sorry, with this incredible force. I actually have a cracked rib, and that did not feel good. So <laughs> there's about twenty thousand species. Now that doesn't mean when God made land creatures, uh, you, you know, on day six, He necessarily made twenty thousand different kind of leaf hoppers. He made a kind of creature with all sorts of information inside of its DNA so it could have offspring, and those offspring could survive all sorts of different habitats. Some of them would go to different colored flowers. Some of them would go with different size uh, orifices that they need to fit into. And you would, you would get all sorts of different leafhoppers, but they're all still the same leafhopper kind. Now, it turns out that... The little hind feet, especially of the nymph, a nymph is almost the size of the head of a pin, a little insect right after it hatches, Um, it takes off because it's so small, it can accelerate 100 times the force, the acceleration of gravity. When I drop something to the floor, it, it speeds up and goes faster. 
Well, that's one acceleration of gravity. This thing can take off a hundred times faster than that rock dropped when it, in the initial acceleration. That would be like me deciding to jump, and when I lift off, I am moving at about 200 miles an hour within a second, and I land about a fourth of a mile away. That's what this insect's capable of for his size in scale. Now, just for perspective, when test pilots and jet pilots, they're being trained, and they're like in dogfights, and they're chasing an enemy, and they're going, and they're banking to get out to keep from being shot down. When they reach about 10 times the speed of gravity, their blood is draining from their face. They're very much in danger of blacking out. They put these guys in pressure suits to help them out. But 10 G-forces is a lot. So they spin them around in these centrifuges. That's the the, uh, United States Air Force Centrifuge Test Center for pilots. And it goes faster and faster to see if they can take these kind of forces before they put them up in a jet plane. I want to show you what 10 times the acceleration of gravity looks like on the human body. There's 10 G-forces, okay? A lot of pressure. Or a little insect, he takes off at 100 G-forces, 10 times faster than that. Okay, now, here's the issue. Our insect is walking along, you know, dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum, and his little brain says, jump. Well, the signal has to go down his back, and it has to split. And that signal to jump goes to the right leg, and it goes to the left leg. Well, he responds so fast that scientists realize statistically for his contraction to happen that fast, they know how fast the nerves would split and move, it's literally impossible for both legs to move simultaneously. The contraction is going to happen in one leg faster than the other one. Now, which direction do you think he's going to go at 100 times the acceleration of gravity when both legs don't move at the same time? Is he going to go in a straight line? He just kind of demonstrated it. He's going to fly, and his brain is going to smash against the nearest tree, and his brains are going to fly over the forest, and it's going to be the end of the evolution of the leafhopper. Dead insect. Ain't going to work. Scientists are figuring, how does he do this? How does he get his legs to work in perfect unison? So they studied it, and they, they dissected him. And remember, he's the size of the head of a pin. So they're doing electron microscope work. Let me show you what they found inside of this insect. Now, this is so cool. I love. The, I use this example because I'm an engineer, and I love machines, okay? I just love what we've been able to build. But it's nothing in comparison to what God is able to build. Now, just check out what these biologists found way deep down inside of this insect. That's what is attached to his legs. Now, that's not a picture of some gears that came out of a machine shop. Those are made out of these protein molecules that are arranged in just the right way so that these things form these ridges and line up in a perfect sequence to form a right-hand gear and a left-hand gear. And there's a leg attached to each gear. And if one of those legs starts to move a little faster than the other leg, the gears force both legs to move in perfect unison. Isn't that cool? You bet that's cool. God does this stuff so our mouth will drop open and go, wow, what a God we serve. A PhD biologist looks at that and says, wow, look what evolution did. No, they do. The word, evolution, 
All you have to do is use the word and it explains everything. Now move on to the next subject. See, the idea is you have enough time. Time is that kernel. The last week we're going to talk about time. Uh, next week, well, I'll talk about that at the end. Uh, we're going to talk about the worldwide flood. But little change, something that wasn't a leaf hopper that didn't have that gear, somehow it had a little change. And then that little change got improved, and that improved, and that improved. And if you have enough time, you have millions, tens of millions of generations, anything could change. And obviously it has an advantage. So why wouldn't it have evolved? The problem is that they just say it, but they don't think about it. Now, the reason I'm taking so long is I, I'm trying to train you folks how to just very simple terms. And there's a million examples of this sort of thing. This is just one. Just think through what's being said. Something that didn't have those gears turned into something that did have those gears. Well, if it didn't have the gears, what did it have? I don't know. It was a couple round, you know, rounded tumors that weren't gears. And by the way, why would they even be the same size? They'd have to be the same size. So you got two things. Well, they don't interlock. So maybe over time, you know, maybe they, they even had something, you know, that wasn't gears, but they were kind of round for some reason down there inside of the insect. How do you turn something like this into a gear with just mutations? That's all they have to work with. Random changes to a book. Random changes to a computer code. That's all evolution has to work with. It is literally like you don't have gears, so I walk into a machine shop and I take something that's not a gear and I hit it with a hammer. I come back next day, hit it with a hammer again. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, for decades, for centuries, for millenniums, I'm hitting something that's not a gear with a random change. Is it going to turn it into a gear? It's obvious. The truth is absolutely obvious. The mechanisms were told the word evolution can't explain the features of life. Why can't the people see the obvious? Because it is obvious. See, even if you got something to look a little bit like a gear, if it wasn't perfect, it would just lock up. And now their legs don't move. Dead animal. You could have a right-hand gear and a left-hand gear. Those are the opposite. They both have to be coded into the creature. Then you have to have the nerves. You've got to have the ligaments. You've got to have the positioning. You've got to have the instincts. It all has to be there. You understand when God told us he made creatures in six days, it is a totally logical way of understanding things because time destroys these things. It doesn't create them. Things don't get better they deteriorate and get worse. They all have to be there. All the parts have to be fully functioning in place with the instincts all simultaneously. The idea of an instantaneous creation is the most scientific, logical way to explain things like this. Slow changes can't explain it. Now, I want to wrap up in the next 10 minutes or so and get to the, the why are people so blind to this. And it's not as simple as you think. It, it's very, very profound what's going on all around us. And it's very, very significant. One example from the geology. And this seminar is more about geology than anything else. The thing that woke me up was when a, a, a teacher came to our church and he just spent an hour doing a seminar on Noah's flood, which I thought was absurd. <laughs> you know, the little boat with a giraffe sticking its head out. What are you talking about? Noah's flood is fantasy. 
But everything he said made so much sense. I'm going to share that more with you over the next two weeks. But I realized if that's true, if that flood is real, everything else can't be real. Earth history, fossils, the age of things, paleontology, you know, biology, it all changes. If the, you can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. Let me give you one example of the flood. You see, if you leave the flood out of your thinking, and I'm going to come back and repeat this. This is kind of the, the central theme over the next few weeks. If you leave the flood out of your thinking, you're guaranteed to misinterpret the age of this planet. You're guaranteed to misinterpret why there are fossils in the rock layers because you've left the real cause of those fossils out. You're guaranteed to misinterpret the river valleys and the sediment layers and the sediment seams and archaeology and the ice age and human cultures. You're guaranteed, because you've left the truth out, you're going to misinterpret everything else from then on. But if you start by assuming what God has told us is true, you're going to interpret all that stuff in a totally different way than the world around us. And it's a much more logical way. And let me just give you one example. And, and this is something everybody can comprehend. Because everybody, kids in particular, love dinosaurs. They're fascinating. They're just so huge. And they're real bones that really do exist, that really had to have been made by God that we find in the ground. Now, about coming up on about over 12 years ago, a researcher was on in the summer. She's a paleontologist. Paleontologist means they just study fossilized bones and rocks. Okay, that's that's what they do. Trying to figure out where they came from, why they're in the rocks, what ancient life looked like. Well, she found a Tyrannosaurus rex out in Wyoming. Now these things are valuable. The uh, and there's not like thousands of them. You would think there's thousands of them. We're talking dozens of, of full Tyrannosaurus rexes that have ever been found. The, the one in the um, named Sue, and it's in the Chicago Museum of Natural History. Uh, it's worth in excess of $20 million for one set of bones, okay? But she got permission to dissolve away some of the bones. Now, no one had ever done that because they're trained to think in a certain way. Millions of years, billions of years, millions of years, billions of years. Evolution's a fact. Evolution's a fact. There can't be anything left inside of these bones. Now, literally, fossils have molecule by molecule had their body parts replaced by silica and magnesium and minerals. There's no carbon left. There's no proteins left. There's no ligaments left. There's no blood cells left. There's no DNA left. And we can measure how fast this stuff disappears. And even the most stable parts of our body, um, the, the... which is proteins are fairly stable, cartilage is fairly stable. Even in like in a laboratory, they can measure radiation coming from the walls, ozone, oxygen that attacks and deteriorates it. Within 10 to 20,000 years, there's essentially nothing left. There's no DNA left. There's, there's very few protein fragments left. It just disintegrates and disappears. It's why... Remember, I'm going to take you back to the Bible. Remember when Lazarus died and he tarried for like four days and then finally shows up and they said, oh, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died, but we buried him. And Jesus said, take, open the door. And I'm going to say, Lazarus, come out. And they said, no, Lord, he stinketh. That's old King James. He stinketh. (laughs) Because his body is deteriorating that fast within days. 
it's all starting to deteriorate and turn into all sorts of gases and stuff. But when she found this bone, she literally said it smelled like rotting flesh when she dug up this bone, and it made her curious. So she got permission to dissolve away part of the bone, and this is the kind of stuff she found down inside of the bone. She found soft, stretchy tissue. She found blood cells, blood vessels with blood cells. She later identified protein fragments. She identified DNA fragments. The scientific community went ballistic. They said, "Ah, that's got to be bacterial slime. It's got to be contamination. It can't be part of the original dinosaur because it's scientifically impossible if that animal died 60 million years ago for it to be there. I want to show you a little video clip of an interview she did with MSNBC TV. I want you to listen to her words. The scientific world is still reeling from the discovery of actual Tyrannosaurus rex cells and soft tissue unearthed last week at a Montana excavation site. Thank you for having me. So, is that amazing to find this kind of soft tissue in a fossil this old? And what can the soft tissue really tell us? Um, well, it is, it is it's very amazing. It's uh, utterly shocking, actually, because it flies in the face of everything that we understand about how tissues well, and cells degrade. It's 70 million years old. You don't expect to find soft tissue, do you? Not at all. No. It's, it was utterly shocking. So you have to sort of rewrite the book as far as fossilization goes, I, I assume. Well, that's, that's the exciting part for me. I've always been very intrigued by how, uh, how things change in going from a living being to part of the rock record. And um, like I said, a lot of our science doesn't allow for this. All of the chemistry and all of the molecular breakdown experiments that we've done. You know, Mary, allow Mary when I was reading about this story, I was amazed that in some of the capillaries, when you went to, to pull them, they snapped right back. Are you amazed at the quality of these remains? Absolutely. Seventy million I, years old, huh? It's, it's just doesn't seem possible. It's just, I, I can't explain it, to be honest. I Very cool. Well, Professor Mary Schweitzer, congratulations, and thank you very much for stopping by. Thank you so much. Now, notice what she said. She said, all of our physics, all of our molecular breakdown experiments don't allow for the tissue to be there. In other words, science shows her the answer. It can't be that old. If it wasn't that old, it's perfectly logical. If those dinosaurs were buried during Noah's flood about 4,500 years ago, yeah, deep inside of them, it makes perfect sense there might be some stuff left. She went on to show it wasn't bacteria. The proteins had to be based on reptilian creatures. The DNA fragments line up with, you know, higher advanced life forms. So she's, she's like locked it, airtight case, that stuff couldn't be that old, and yet she still, millions of years, billions of years, believes in evolution, can't give up on the time frame. How can she miss what is so obvious? Now, this is where I want to wrap up. How can the people around us be so blind? It's happened throughout history, but I think even more. You know, remember what Jesus said, when I come back, will I find faith on earth? Will people still believe in my word? Are they being totally blind to the obvious? We see it all around us. The man who is called the father of modern psychology, his name is Dr. William James. You can Google him. He was the first man to teach psychology at Harvard University in the late 1800s. Spent his whole life studying how does the human mind work? How does it come to conclusions? How does it come to decide what's true and what's not true? Kind of boiled it all down. And this was his final conclusion about how people think. 
This is his quote. He said, There is nothing that's too absurd to be believed if you simply repeat it often enough. Think about that. Millions of years, billions of years, millions of years, billions of years. You hear it over and over and over and over and over again. From the time little young children start hearing about dinosaurs on up. It becomes the filter, the framework through which they interpret everything around them. And they can't even see the obvious when it's right in front of their face. Now, literally, this is not because we're fallen creatures. You know, Adam and Eve walked away from a perfect God in a perfect environment when they weren't yet sinful. Because God gave us free will. But then he warns us over and over and over again the danger of leaving the truth out of our thinking. And he tells us what the truth is. He says, don't leave it out. I'm going to come back to a few of those verses. I want to show you how God has designed our mind and how we can become take something 180 degrees from what we know to be the truth, and all of a sudden we'll believe what we knew wasn't the truth, we'll think it is the truth. And it deals with how our very eyes are designed. See, in our eyes there is a lens that turns the image upside down before it hits the back of our eyeball, the retina. As I'm standing up here, you're looking at me, the image in the back of your eye, I am actually standing upside down. It's a scientific fact, okay? So why don't you see me standing upside down? Because your mind takes that upside down image and it flips it right side up and you don't even know your brain is doing it. And furthermore, you can't stop your brain from doing it because it's been trained from the moment you started to interpret things as a very young baby to do it in that way. So there was a scientist, and this goes back 50 years, who decided to see, is that a permanent way our brain is wired? Or can our brain take something and and just change it 180 degrees at will? So I want you to watch this little video, and then I'm going to wrap up, because there's some really significant spiritual applications to what you're about to see. If seeing were done only in the eye, everything would be upside down to us. Just as in a camera, the lens of the eye forms the image upside down. The image is then inverted by the brain so that it appears right side up. Now, what would happen if a lens system were used to form the image right side up? Well, the brain would immediately invert the image so that it would be upside down. But would this condition be permanent? To answer this question, we asked Mr. Gratz, our optical expert, to design for us a pair of inverting spectacles. While the spectacles were being constructed in our shop, we faced the problem of who was going to wear the things continuously for several weeks. You'll want to meet our unlucky winner. That's right, me. (laughs) Even from the first, it was possible to walk in this topsy-turvy fashion. But it didn't take long to develop a rollicking case of seasickness. We decided that for your sake as well as ours, we'd better conduct our first test sitting down. However, just sitting down wasn't so easy. Even the simplest tasks were at first impossible. No amount of concentration or effort could overcome the compulsion to reach in the wrong direction. The inverting spectacles had to be worn every waking moment during the entire period of the experiment. Anytime the glasses were removed, the eyes were closed or fully covered. 
Walking to work upside down was an exhausting experience, but it provided a valuable period of relearning and reorientation. It also caused quite a stir in the neighborhood. Gradually, it became easier to get around in this upside-down world. By a slow and painful process, the image in the brain had been erected. Now, you can't see what he's seeing, but he went on to fly an airplane, rode a motorcycle. And by the way, I have a longer version. Pretty much this whole talk tonight is on the first one of these video curriculum lessons, um, including these videos. Um, and it was obvious he could now see things right side up, even though the lens is flipping the image. Now, you understand what's happening? His brain is getting in information, and it's saying, I know things are right side up, but they look upside down. I know things are 180 degrees from the way they look, but they look the opposite of what I believe. Day after day, it's getting this information. And it wasn't like after a week, he's seeing things at 45 degrees, and then after 10 days, things are at 90 degrees or 70 degrees. It's like all of a sudden, his brain clicked and said, this must be the new reality. What used to be 180 degrees from what I used to believe, now I believe the opposite of that is true. And I'm going to interpret everything the opposite of what I used to. That's what our brains are capable of. Coming to the exact opposite of what we believe to be the moral truth. Coming to the exact opposite of what we know to be right in making wrong right, to the point we become blind to any other way of thinking. And is that any surprise? You understand, God has told us from beginning of Scripture to end of Scripture, make my word the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path. Not the latest scientific interpretation. See, it's almost all interpretation of the data, and your brain, even involuntarily, forms a framework filter of truth, and it's going to interpret things based on what you believe to be reality. And you don't even know you're missing the obvious. The professors aren't stupid. There's not some evil human conspiracy to hide the truth. There is a satanic conspiracy to lead people astray to the point the Bible calls it the hardening of the heart. The heart is our, our seat of intellect biblically. We can't even see the truth anymore. Verses like this. Remember what Jesus said? Whosoever offend one of the little ones which believe in me, children are born believing in a creator, believing in somebody behind it all. To offend them is to lead them away from the truth. It's better to have a millstone put around your neck and be thrown in the sea. Because if you start to train children by leaving God out of their thinking, that's all you got to do. Just come up with an alternate explanation for biology, an alternate explanation for dinosaurs, an alternate explanation for the age of things, an alternate explanation for the planets and the stars. Leaving God out, he becomes irrelevant in their thinking after a while. That's what Jesus is warning us against. Verses like this. You know, you need to lay up the God's words in your heart and in your soul and bind them on your hand and put them in front of your eyes. Because we are so easily deceived. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the latest scientific principle. By the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind with what? With the Word of God. It's got to be the foundation, or we have no idea if we're coming to the right conclusion. But if we start with it, especially at the very beginning, you interpret everything completely different. 
And then you can prove what is right, perfect, acceptable, and perfect, the will of God. Now, I've got to give you one, I've got five minutes. I, 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 was, I started about a quarter after. I'm going to give you one more absolutely phenomenal example of how all of us have been trained to think in a certain way to the point we can't even force ourselves to think in any other way. Our brain won't let us think in any other way. And it's another one of these little examples. Oh, here, you had a quick question. When he took those uh, lenses off, did his brain Great twist question. it upside down? Great or question. did he go right back to it the upright normal? It took about two weeks, okay? Now he can see perfectly fine. He, the only way it would work is to not let his brain have any other viewpoint. By the way, what does our school system do? It does not let the children hear any other viewpoint other than evolution in millions of years. When he took them off, everything's upside down without the glasses. Mm -hmm. So now he's walking around without the glasses, everything's upside down. And it didn't take quite as long. I didn't give the exact amount of time, but it took a week or more until his brain then eventually flipped it back again. Because you put, it's what William James said, you and we're all susceptible to it. Don't kid yourself that you're not susceptible to being misled by misinformation. Your brain will form a filter of what it believes to be truth, and it doesn't have to think about it every instant from then on. It just automatically interprets everything through that. And here's one last example, and then I'm done. Hang on. They are parallel. Okay. But the two sides are not parallel because the two ends are not the same length. This figure we call a trapezoid. Now let's remove the cover. Are you a bit confused? Well, all we've done is cut some holes in the figure and painted it to look like a window frame. But maybe you say, well, you can't fool me. That's still a trapezoid. Well, it's still a trapezoid, all right. But now let's revolve the figure and see what happens. Does the window frame seem to turn, then stop, and reverse directions? Well, such is not the case. It is revolving continuously in a clockwise direction. Now, even when we know this, the illusion still persists, and it looks more like a window all the time. Well, maybe you need a reference point. See if the cube will help you follow the edge of the trapezoid all the way around. Watch closely now. Okay, it's coming around. The window's going round and round. <laughs> Doesn't help a bit, does it? Not only does the trapezoid still oscillate back and forth, but the cube actually seems to take off and go floating through space. Now, it doesn't, of course. Actually, the cube has been firmly attached to the edge of the figure all the time. Now, an iron bar should make a good solid reference point. Let's see what happens now when we rotate the window. Of course, we know that the revolving window frame cannot possibly bend the iron bar or cause it to cut through the window frame. But this knowledge seems to be of no help at all. The illusion of an oscillating window still continues. From earliest childhood, it has been our experience that windows are rectangles and that all sides are parallel. 
your eye sent an accurate image to the brain, the image of a trapezoid painted like a window. But your mind said, ah, that's a window. And rather than give up the idea that all windows are rectangular, your mind accepted all sorts of improbable things, solid bars bending or cutting through solid matter without even leaving a hole. Okay. Now, once again, go ahead and bring the lights up a little more. You, your brain saw that window going around and around and around. It saw that. It saw that block attached going around and around and around. It saw that bar going around and around. They showed this same video to people in Africa that had never seen a rectangular window. All their windows are circular. And what, then they asked them what they saw. They said, well, we see that thing going around and around. They didn't see it going back and forth. We saw that, bob, that cube attached to it going around and around. Now, I've watched this video a hundred times, and now I, I'm starting to be able to see it go all the way around. I don't see it anymore going back and forth if I work really hard at it. You understand? You know, your brain won't let you stop seeing it as a window. And the only way your brain can keep it looking at a window is by pretending something floats through space or cuts through it. And you can't stop, not see it that way. Someone who's trained millions of years, billions of years, millions of years, billions of years, they can't see the obvious in spite of the laws of science right in front of their face because their hearts have become hardened to the truth. You know, if this is the issue, oh, by the way, here's just more verses. Cast down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's exactly what's going on in the world around us. Bring our thoughts into captivity with Christ, and Christ is identified with the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. You know, beware lest man spoil you with vain philosophy and defeat, and on and on. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You get it? Over and over and over again, God is warning us. Don't leave my word out of your thinking or you're going to come to the wrong conclusion. Now, we're surrounded by a culture that has become increasingly blinded to what is the truth. They're looking at everything upside down when it's really right side up. That's what's going on all around us. So what's the solution? Because they really are blind. Jesus doesn't get mad at blind people. He heals their blindness. How do you heal a mind that is blinded by misconceptions? If this is the problem, nothing's too absurd to be believed if it's just repeated often enough. Chemicals can come alive. Stars can form themselves. One form of life, bacteria can turn into a person. Think of the absurdity of those statements. What's the solution? It's to put the truth in front of people over and over and over and over again. And you're going to be ridiculed, especially children. They're going to be made fun of. But they've got to be founded in what is reality. And not just because they've been told it's the truth. They've got to know why it's the truth, the evidence that supports it. And it does. And then they can start to impact the thinking of others. That's the point of these resources. Forgot to pass my newsletter around. Um, I'll do it next week, and I'll leave it up here at the table. But every three months, a beautiful newsletter comes out. Um, by the way, if, I get, if you want, on the email, once a week, I send out Facebook postings with really cool little articles and quotes and interesting things you can share with others. And you can forward it to other people's accounts so they get the truth in front of them. The, the, the video curriculum, I, I realized... 
you know, I've been at this 30 years. At some point, I'm not going to be able to go do, you know, 100 different groups and 150, 200 lectures a year. So I've taken 30 years of teaching. I hired full-time a videographer from Lawrence Tech University, a young Christian gentleman. Uh, and he's been, it takes him about two months to do each one of these videos. Uh, and it's about a 45-minute teaching that isn't just me lecturing, but I'm out there in the field, all sorts of animation, all sorts of video clips. Everyone ends with one of these examples of how people can become blinded to the truth. Uh, and and it, it's like six hours of teaching for $25. You know, people in other churches, it's a great Sunday school class. This is so cool. Instead of theology, you're connecting history and science to theology. People love it, but they've got to see it. So put it to use, impact others. Take these resources and, and, and be that light to an incredibly increasing dark culture. And uh, next week I'm going to talk about some of the very pointed prophecies God made about we are literally in the end times. And part of one of those signs is a denial of creation and a denial of the flood. Um, and I'm going to talk about Mount St. Helens, I'm going to have some free three- and five-foot prints of Mount St. Helens to give to anybody who's interested in them. It is the most in-your-face example of what happened during the worldwide flood in our lifetime that's, that's happened throughout history. Uh, the week after that, I'm going to spend all sorts of other examples of, of why we know the flood is a reality on this planet, and then I'm going to wrap up with the age of the Earth issue. So, Okay, open for questions. Um, by the way, that is the framework of all history. Um, everything we are studying should fall into creation, where to come from, why is creation corrupted, what happened during the worldwide flood, why are there people groups with different languages, and all of it leads to why God had to come as a human and die on the cross, and that there will be a wrapping up period on this planet. Amen. Uh, we have time for some questions and answers. Uh, we would like, we are recording, so if you could wait to get a mic, uh, that would help us to have a, the question recorded as well as the answer. So, uh... <laughs> Just ask it and I'll repeat no, Mar- it. Mark will, Mark will give Yeah. That the, the video is called Window to the Soul. It was made by Moody Bible Science Institute uh, clear back in the 60s. Uh, the man you saw, the scientist, is a Dr. Moon. You can actually find it on YouTube. You just um, Google um, uh, Moody Science videos and Window to the Soul. They are. You can go on Amazon and you can find those videos. They put them all on DVD now. You can buy a whole set for about a hundred dollars, and there's like fifteen of them. I have them. They're real. They're excellent. In spite of being dated, they're still as true as they were when they were made. Did you say you grew up an evolutionist? Um, Yes. Um, You want a little background? Well, my question is: if you grew up an evolutionist, you were indoctrinated to think that certain way. What caused you to invert the image and see reality? Yeah, yeah. With, with, with some people, um, it'll never happen. Uh, they're just their hearts are so hardened, like Pharaoh. He just refuses to, to soften. So ultimately, the glory goes to God. I, I, I don't think we even take credit for our salvation in any way. Uh, he has to open our eyes. 
Um, but we also have to yield. We, we have to accept what he's done for us and be willing uh, to, to view things from a biblical perspective. But specifically, specifically for me, I love science. I was trained all my life. Everything can be explained by science all through my elementary high school education. Went into engineering, a logical outlet for that. Uh, by the time I got out of college, God was irrelevant. I wasn't like antagonistic. I'm not one of those rabid atheists. I considered myself more of an agnostic. Yeah, might be something behind it, but you can't see it anywhere. Everything Science explains everything. Evol- biological evolution, cosmic evolution, chemical evolution, it's all a fact of science like gravity. That's the way people are trained to think, as was I. My glasses are inverted. Because I wasn't antagonistic to science, uh, and I... You know, we're talking the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s. We were still a culture very strongly coasting on its Christian heritage. Uh, people still got married in churches. People still got married, <laughs> which is rapidly not happening. So, um, so this is interesting. Yeah, I, I could spend half an hour. I'll try to shorten it. I grew up Lutheran. My wife grew up Presbyterian. We went and looked at both churches. The Lutheran churches were dry as dirt. I had no interest in, in, the, in, the, in the solemn you know, you know, liturgies. Uh, the Presbyterian church closest to us uh, turned out it had two aisles leading to the um, pulpit. But my wife, from the time she was a little girl, always envisioned in this big, long, flowing wedding dress, she was going to walk down the center aisle of the church. And this church didn't have a center aisle, so we didn't end up being members of this church. Turns out they had a homosexual choir director. The Bible was just a bunch of storytelling. No biblical content whatsoever in this church, and we wouldn't have known the difference. I think God God gives us the desires of our heart. He even plants things in us that ultimately will draw us to him. We ended up in the only I'm convinced, Bible-believing, on fire, preach the Word of God, Presbyterian Church in the whole county. And we would go to church when convenient, and the conviction of what that pastor was saying reached me. Uh, And they had, the ultimate step was when they had the speaker come in and talk about the worldwide flood, and everything he said was so scientifically logical. And I'll share some of that with you guys over the next couple weeks. Truth is so powerful. You understand, the Word of God is truth like a double-edged sword that cuts to bone and marrow. Because when you put truth in front of people, they've got to deal with it. And it will eat at them if they're the least bit open. Do it in a loving, compassionate way. Don't hit them over the head with facts. Love them first, but put the truth in front of them. Don't leave that part out. And through that, it just worked on me. And the more I studied, the more I realized everything I'd been taught was wrong. And that built this passion on to share it with others. So the truth got through. Ultimately, it was that the truth got through. But it was God that also worked through circumstances to do it. How long did it take you to build all those beads? Oh, that was fun. <laughs> I, just, I just got myself some fishing wire. And uh, they're, they're in no particular order. Now, God would put them in a perfectly designed order like randomly reaching into 20 different colors. Every time you'd come up with the right color, it could never happen unless God planned it that way. It took me, I don't know, probably four or five hours. I did it over several evenings, just watching TV and just putting the beads on the chain. But uh, yeah, not that long.
This is an inconsequential question that follows up what she just asked. Yeah. Remember when you mentioned the sickle cell anemia and yeah. one color? One was amino one, acid. One, one amino acid is switched with another amino acid. One of them, it, it's the right length, so if you move one, you've got to move two. You understand? Okay. But, but essentially, one is in the wrong spot. It's switched with another one. So it's one of those Yeah. Now, 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 hemoglobin, that's the hemoglobin. It's not as long as this. Okay. It may only be about that long. I don't, okay. I don't know exactly how long. Maybe, I don't know. Most amino acids are in the 50 to 100 bead length. This okay. one's 2,000. So it's uh, just one of but those But it's one beads. of them's in the wrong spot. Not the color every nope. time it occurs. It's not even the wrong color. Okay. It's just in the wrong spot. Okay. And then it just doesn't quite bend and fold and twist in the right way. Isn't that amazing? So how did they all get in the right place to begin with? It's God has made it so obvious. And think of the intellect of God. Oh, it's it's just uh, it's unfathomable. So. Pastor Quillen? Statistically, statistically, what is the chance of getting all of those in a sequence? You can't. You can't. Proper you, sequence. You, you can't fathom the number because. You understand, you've got 20 choices, and one time out of 20, you'll get the first bead right. And then you've got to grab just the right color for the next one, which is 20 times 20, which is one every 400 times. And then it's 20 cubed, which is like one every 3,000 times. And that's just three. To, to get a typical, you know, several hundred long bead, all the right ones in the right place, statistically, and the, the, the number is like one to the... 20,000th, raised the 20,000th power. Now, there are one to the 80th power protons or electrons in the entire universe. So, you know, and, the, and then one to the 83rd power is a thousand times more than that. One to the 86th power is a million times more than that. One to the 20,000th power is more than every particle in the universe interacting with itself every billion, 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 billionth of a second for way more than the, a trillion times the age of the universe, and there still wouldn't be enough time and enough particles to ever create one of the molecules. So it would be fair to say next to It's enough. impossible. No, it is literally impossible. It is totally, literally impossible that it could happen. And by the way, statistics are science. I mean, the reason we have billion-dollar casinos in Las Vegas is because they know statistics will lead you to the truth, and the truth is they're going to make money. <laughs> so, so when you when you statistically show something can't happen, that is science. That is reality. So, I'm interested in you being willing to stand up for the truth, no matter what it costs your reputation. And I wondered if you could just speak to, um, like, perhaps. Uh, any, any difficulty that you faced um, in your career at Dow or, or well, in, in, your, in your personal life as you came to these you conclusions? You lose. I've, I've lost friends that don't want anything to do with me. Um, it, it, Dow's kind of interesting because, first of all, this is a pretty conservative community um, in general. Now, people are drifting and, you know, the culture influences. There is no bubble to keep the culture out. But in general, at least in my experience, and by the way, it was 30 years of doubt, 20, 28 and a half when I retired. I didn't retire, I just walked away from it. Um, the, uh, they're more interested in what you can accomplish and what you can discover and what you can improve. 
And as long as you're not spending all your time preaching, they'll, they'll tolerate things. And I would bring my books in, and I would put up notices for where I've been. Now, I, I, I can't prove it, but I do think um, I was uh, about 20 years into my career. I'm a research scientist. I, I was up for the next level where you actually are promoted into the scientific uh, elite of Dow. Um, and nobody says what happens when it's turned down. I suspect they didn't want, want some non-credible um, person in that scientifically elite group because I put, for a year, I bought a, a column in the Midland Daily News and put the evidence for creation right on the editorial page as a bottom column. So it was very, I was not shy about my beliefs. And by the way, I, I can count uh, half a dozen people who came to the Lord because they realized God was real. There, there was no getting around the evidence. They're willing and open to it. So ultimately, um, and, you know, I've been called a Neanderthal and trying to drag our culture into the dark ages and, uh, you know, trying to undermine the Constitution of the United States and trial by, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, just all sorts of nasty stuff. I just started, like, a whole Facebook campaign to get this stuff out there on a broader level wouldn't believe the nasty comments. People write just nasty, nasty stuff on Facebook. You just got to develop a thick skin and realize Jesus said, you know, the world hated me. They're going to hate you. And this is a hot button because people's justification for how they want to live is very strongly tied to where they believe they came from and what they believe they're accountable to. And with evolution, you're not accountable to anybody or anything. And they don't want that questioned. No, right in the front. I, in, yeah. Going back to your opening Carl Sagan quotation. Yeah. In the public schools, you're not supposed to teach religion. Now, I know. He, the, and it is. The very opening statement that it's a religious, had, It's a religious philosophical statement. It is a religion. It's mm-hmm. not a science. And you're so right. And so, in reality, what is being taught is religion. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Um, but don't expect people who, who are so illogical they think chemicals can come alive to be logical and fair in the way they present things. It's an unlevel playing field. Then Pasteur was wrong. Oh, I know. Pasteur proved it. He, I, I mean, he, he put the nail in the coffin. Life only comes from previously existing life. Um, um, and, and let me just well, well yeah, do I, get, I, I don't know how late you want to go go ahead maybe we'll if you'd like to make let, some let me just finish, comments let me just finish with this because we'll, we'll, I want people to okay. understand exactly what's going on in our culture because I think it helps us to be the light in our culture the, no I'm going to save it to the last week the, the last week I talk about the age of the earth issue it had an enormous impact on exactly where we are today and why God has been removed and outlawed from our school system. Uh, it goes back to the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925, and that's how I'm going to start the, the, the last lecture. But ultimately, there are only two options for our existence. Either God made us or evolution made us. And, you know, if God used evolution, then there's no evidence for God because evolution did it. Um, so 
by law, starting in 48, the Supreme Court said there has to be a separation of church and state. It's Every time it's come up as a test case, and there's been dozens of times in either states or nationally, the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court has held to that initial decision. Okay, So it is locked into the laws of our land. You can't teach about God, that's the church, in a state-run organization. That's the school system. So since there are only two options for this box, okay, I just want you to think logically. Either the box made itself or the box has a box maker, okay? So only two options. If you even cast doubt upon the idea that the box made itself, if you even point out the problems with evolution in a way that shows it couldn't possibly be true, what's the only other option left? There's a box maker. That's illegal. Start, you starting to understand what's going on? That's why you can't even show the problems with evolution in our school system because you're implying the only other possibility. So it's locked into the very laws of our land. The solution has got to be to go around the education, the museum, the media system and just be that light on the hill uh, because we're not going to go through it. It's, it's locked in. And don't expect them to be consistent. Uh, they're not going to be. <laughs> you can't be because they're illogical from their get-go starting assumption. Bruce, I think that's a good stopping point. Yeah. I think I saw a few more questions out there, but save them for next Tuesday night. And, uh, Bruce, I want to say thank you very much. You're welcome. For, for some excellent uh, thoughts. Okay. You're welcome. Um, I'd like to close with prayer. Let's yeah. bow our heads. Kind Father in heaven, it's been wonderful to be here tonight, and we're thankful for the ministry, teaching of Bruce uh, to us and to others as well. Father, you really challenged us with, with you know, the problems of our land and our country, and illustrated to us how how much it distracts from from people really turning to you. Father, we each of us want to to draw closer to you. And this meeting tonight has, has helped us in that, that path. So, Father, we're thankful tonight, and uh, please bless us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.